pedophilia, a psychosexual disorder generally affecting adults, characterized by sexual interest in prepubescent children, or attempts to engage in sexual acts with prepubescent children. Or to put it simply, an adult who is sexually attracted to a child. A story I will share with you this Tuesday. Candyman. 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 Now, this isn't the story of Candyman you may know on the big screen. This is the story of the Candyman right down the street. The one who's got to be harmless, right? This is the story of the Candyman, dapper Dean Carell. Tuesdays with Trisha, episode number seven. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Tuesdays with Trisha, season two, episode number seven. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number seven. Yeah. Welcome to Houston, Texas for this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the coolest place on earth. And if you are a repeat basic bitch, welcome back and my heart is with you. So according to my amazing boyfriend, Houston on a good day or a good traffic day is basically about two and a half hours away from where I currently reside now in Texas. And Houston, known as Bayou City or Space City, this city is considered the most diverse population when it comes to diversity in Texas cities. So when I ask people about Houston, to be quite truthful, the responses vary. Some people hate it and some people love it. I heard Houston is very city-like, so lots of traffic and crammed around buildings. So if you don't live in the city, you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. But if you do live in the city, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, So living in the city and growing up in the city are two different things. Honey, what do you think about Houston? Oh, it's horrible. (laughs) <laughs> Why is that horrible? Uh, traffic. And uh, there's way too many people. <laughs> so there you go. Crammed. Lots of people. So I have to say Houston has never really been on my bucket list of cities to explore, but I do want to visit it at least once because there's this crawfish and beignet place that I've totally been stalking on Instagram and I've wanted to try it out. And I love food. So that's my point on that. They have great food, by the way. Oh, see? So they've got good food. That's another reason why I want to go. But I also found a serial killer case that needs to be told. So let's dive into that. Our story begins with Dean Corral, born on December 24, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
I can't even concentrate. It's very distracting when you have somebody next to you who doesn't care. Anyways, he does care. So listen up, Buttercup. His mother was Mary and his father was Arnold Corral. It was said that his father was strict and his mother was protective. That's not funny. Don't laugh. He had one brother named Stanley. People are going to think you're so heartless. <laughs> Stanley Steamer. Stanley Steamer. Your carpet cleaner. Oh, get on with the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the marriage was actually described as rocky, honey. And by 1946, six, the couple had... <laughs> no, not sick. Six. The couple had divorced. But they actually all relocated to Memphis, Tennessee, because Arnold was actually drafted into the Air Force. Mm. See, something you should know about. Mm. And still wanted to have contact with the boys. And this allowed him to. By 1950, the family then moved to Pasadena, Texas. And in between this time, the couple actually decided to marry again. I know, they tripped and fell on stupid twice. But then, guess what? Three years later, in 1953, they divorced. Lesson learned, don't go back, people. I feel like I have full reign to say this because I've tripped and fallen stupid more than once. So my my friends and family can attest to this. Shh, you're not allowed to have an opinion about it. So, so there's that. Do you hear that? Do you hear the laugh? He's laughing at me. Anyways, Mary, after she got divorced, didn't waste much time because she was being twice divorced. She ended up meeting a man named Jake West. You know what he was? He was a traveling clock salesman. Oh my. Yes. They got together and the couple ended up moving together and they actually moved to Vitter, Texas. Do you know where Vitter, Texas is? It's where the clock salesmen go when they don't sell any clocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very nice. Well, that's bitter. Well, anyways, maybe he wasn't selling clocks because he was busy having his daughter because Dean ended up having a sister and her name was Joyce. And that's when she became in, came into the picture. So it looks like Jake, though, was quite the entrepreneur and he ended up starting his own family candy business. And this was called the Pecan Prince where they sold like pecan flavored candy. I would assume so. Or like, I would or assume like pecan. Yeah. Like pecan, <laughs> candied pecans. Yeah, just anything pecan. Yeah. Yeah. Would you eat it? I got your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> would you eat it though? Would you eat? Possibly. Pecan candy. Yeah. Okay. Don't know if I get it from Jake though. But... <laughs> well, we don't know how the pecan prince was. We weren't alive during this time. So, right. anyways, so we're going to go back to Dean because as a young boy, Dean was actually described like shy, but he was very serious. Mm. It looks like he didn't take part in much of anything. I guess they just say that in reports because that's just what I read in reports. Just like he wasn't like, I, I guess he wasn't 
a soccer athlete or anything, something, you know, notable. Um, but it was said that him and his brother actually got into the candy store business at a young age. So that's what he was doing. And it looks like so he was busy. Like Pekong pimps. Pimps. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> they were enjoying life. They were making money. I would I would go for Where's it. Too. Um, in high school, he was actually described as well as like a well-behaved student and he had decent grades, um, but was quite a loner. That's what pecan nuts. Oh my gosh. Are you still stuck on the pecan nuts? Well, they are nuts, right? They are nuts. I'm just making They're sure. a special kind of nut. I just all of a sudden felt stupid. I was like, are they really nuts? <laughs> <laughs> Where do yeah. pecans grow from? Do they grow yeah, from the it, tree it, or okay. do they grow it, from... I, I just wanted to make I sure. don't know I, this just, either. I was like reconfirming. Like, I guess anyways, we, go on. <laughs> I guess we should Google it. Anyways, it was said that he was a loner working through high school, which I was about to say that I can agree with because if I was working full-time at a candy shop, I'd be a fucking loner too. Mm. Right? So anyways, he still ended up graduating high school in 1958. And by this time, the candy business had actually become become like pretty booming for the family and the it actually became so booming that this is when they decided to open up a shop in houston texas and then soon it looks like dean wanted to be like closer to the shop so they kind of all like relocated somewhere on the outskirts of houston Mm -hmm. and they bought a new shop and they called it the pecan prince And it looks like then it was around 1960 and Dean decided to move back to Indiana because their grandmother was sick at the time. Mm -hmm. So he spent a few years there. And when he did, he actually dated a girl during the time. And I guess she like proposed to him. So it was very serious. She liked his pecan nuts. She did like his (laughs) pecan nuts. At that time, I think he was just Dean, the caregiver for his grandma. (laughs) Um, But he declined that proposal and decided to come back. He wanted to come back to Houston to help with the family business. So he actually moved into an apartment that was right above the candy shop. Now, this brings us to 1963. At this point, Jake and his mom, Dean, or mom's, Dean's mom decided to actually divorce. And they kind of got into a battle of who would own the Pecan Prince. And ultimately, Jake won the name for the Pecan Prince. So he kept that shop. And Dean's mom decided to open up a candy shop of her own called Corral Candy Company. So she actually appointed Dean as the vice president and his brother Stanley as the secretary of treasurer. And it was said that Dean liked to hire young boys to help run the shop or maybe like his mom did at this time. Now, one of these times that Dean was working with one of these male employees, it was said that the male employee actually reported that Dean made like sexual advances at him. Imagine that. Um, at the time, Dean's mom, Mary, didn't really want to believe what was going on. Mm. So instead of talking to Dean about it and kind of addressing the situation, she thought it would be better to fire the young boy. So she fired him and then kind of things went on. But then in 1964, 
what happened in 1964, honey? Uh, 50 Cent got a hold of it, and he made the song called The Candy Shop. No. Um, there was a big giant war that decided to happen. It was called the Vietnam War. Oh. Um, so for <laughs> yeah, we're going history here. History. I, I know he, you know, my honey is not a dummy either because he served in the army, so he damn well knows what the Vietnam I know, War. I know what the date was. He's just thinking about the candy shop right now. He's a bit distracted. So in the U.S., uh, if you were born around that time or knew or not even born around that time, you would have, have to have been of age, so above the age of 18. But this meant the U.S. draft. And that means that any person capable of fighting in the United States military was mandated go. to go. It was a nationwide order, so you had no fucking choice. You had to fucking go. So off went Dean to the army. And honestly, no surprise, he hated every single fucking minute of being in the army. I bet he did. But Dean did discover something new about himself while being in the army. Dean discovered that he was gay. Oh. And after a few location changes in the army for Dean, he actually ended up in Fort Hood. Where's Fort Hood at? Texas. Texas. <laughs> so by 1965, after t only 10 months of being in the United States Army, Dean pled to his commanders that he desperately needed to be at home to be in care of like the family business. And they actually granted him an honorable discharge and he was sent home. That's cool. Well, that's when Dean Corral made his way back to Houston Heights and resumed his position and designated role of local candy man or the local Pied Piper to the Corral oh, company's new location off 22nd Street. And you know what's really funny about this, too, is this new location happened to be right across the street from Helms Elementary School. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Well, if you think about it, a lot of people are probably thinking, well, cool for a candy company. This is awesome. You can profit off of all these kids getting off of school. But if you're a crime junkie, then you would know that a new candy store in the area is quite a dream for the local pedophile. Mm -hmm. It's actually the perfect disguise. Now, it is said by 1965, the candy company was open and Dean was in charge. So he, of course, liked to employ young male boys. He kept his workforce small and befriended all of his employees, as well as the local kids that came into the shop. He installed a pool table in the back that would attract the local kids. And it looks like that they would kind of all congregate behind the candy shop as they're like their local spot. I could totally see this playing out in like 1965. All the kids um, hanging out in the back of the candy shop, totally making just like doing their own shit. <laughs> just totally makes sense. And the, the crazy thing was, was when I did 
research on all of this, I found that there was really no mention of any girls hanging out in the local candy shop. It was mostly just boys. That's creepy. Creepy because, yes, because Dean was definitely the center of attention as far as, like, in the picture of that. Hmm. Um, And it was even said that there were already rumors going around that Dean liked to flirt with the boys that hung around. But even despite that, there were still kids that came around. By 1967, the shop was actually pretty thriving. And this is when Dean met 12-year-old David Owen Brooks. Now, David was one of the local boys that liked to mingle and hang around the shop. And Dean took quite a liking to him. A quick background with David is he came from pretty much a broken home. His parents, his mother, I think, was in and out of jail or... um, came from an abusive kind of like alcoholic background. So um, the more David and Dean hung out, the more they became good friends. And Dean also showered David with gifts that he wasn't used to. So when Dean would take trips down to the beaches, you know, in Texas for vacation, uh, he would take David with him. And obviously they begin to earn like a trust between each other and eventually a sexual relationship developed between the two men. Or should I say what? man and boy. Uh-huh. And then obviously David grew older and eventually he ended up dropping out of high school. So it looks like during the time that David was a school age kid and still living between both parents, his father lived in Houston and his mother lived in Beaumont and he mainly lived with his mother. So at some point he moved to Beaumont and then he would only come down to Houston to visit his father. But when he did, he would also visit Dean as well. Mm -hmm. And one of these evenings on December in December of 1970, David decided to show up to Dean's house unannounced, and he actually walked into something that a lot of people would really not want to walk into. Dean had two teenage boys actually tied up on his four-poster bed and was engaging in sexual activity with these two boys, or more like raping them. Mm. When David saw what Dean was doing, David... Uh, Dean kind of shot up, shot up in like shock and just kind of like told David, Hey, 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 I'm just, I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun. I'm just playing around. And if you don't like say anything about this, like I'm going to buy you a car, like I'll buy you a car. (laughs) And so sure enough, after the incident happened and after David kept quiet, Dean actually bought him a fucking Corvette. So that obviously got David to believe in what he said. And then Dean offered another offer. He told David that if you bring me boys and let me do what I want to them, I'll give you $200 for every person that you bring me. Yeah. Total finder fee. And that kind of sounds like the case that's going on nowadays with the uh, 
what is it with the island? Um, oh, you're talking about Jeffrey Epstein? Uh-huh. The Epstein stuff? Yes. That's, that's exactly what that is. Yes, this has been going on. Um, there's also um, NAMDA, if you guys don't um, know of that one. And that one's another case that I need to cover. Uh, talk about that. I think I've actually talked about the author that sick. does the the book to that. Nasty. Yeah, it's a it's yeah, it's just yeah, horrible. Yeah, it's definitely horrible people. Definitely awful, and that's not even getting into that. But this is the <coughs> beginning of what is happening here with this relationship. The first known killing was actually on September 25th, 1970, where Jeffrey Cohen was hitchhiking with another friend from the University of Texas, where he was picked up by Dean and David and lured with a ride. He was tortured, raped, and then strangled. His body was buried on High Island Beach. Then on December 13th, 1970, 14-year-old James Glass and Danny Yates were lured away from a religious rally in town by David Brooks and taken to Dean's apartment, where the two were tortured, strangled, and then buried in a boat shed that Dean had owned at the time. On January 30th, 1971, two teenage brothers, Donald and Jerry Waldrop, were tortured, raped, and strangled, and their bodies two were buried in the boat shed. On March 9, 1971, Randall Harvey was last seen cycling from his family home when he, would, he too was raped and killed. On May 29, 1971, 13-year-old David Hildegrest and Greg Winkle were abducted together and they were both killed together. On August 17, 1971, 17-year-old Reuben Haney, who was friends with David Brooks, was walking home from a movie theater when he was most likely offered a ride and abducted, raped, and killed. He was also another one found buried in the boat shed. On September, in September of 1971, Dean ended up moving into a new apartment. So, Dean Corral was actually known to move quite a few places. This was like his MO. This was how he kept like stuff going, but he always stayed around like the Houston Heights area. <clears throat> and when he moved into the new apartment building, then he ended up raping and torturing and killing two male victims. And actually these two male victims were unknown to this day. And it looks like altogether about 17 bodies were found in the boat shed. Now, you guys also remember, too, when, like, these bodies were found, they were found much later than when it happened. Well, I guess not much later, but a couple of years later. So now it's actually time to insert the befriending of Elmer Wayne Henley. Now, around this time, it was wintertime of 1971, and I'm pretty sure that Elmer was intended to be a victim for Dean, but for some reason, he ended up becoming very much an accomplice to all of these murders. 
it looks like that Dean gave Elmer the same deal that he gave David. Bring him victims in exchange for money. And to give you all a background on Elmer, Elmer had kind of the same background as David. Came from a drunk, divorced, abusive family. And at a young age, it made him super vulnerable to stuff in the outside world. As much as we want to blame people for their actions, we also have to realize the influence that a lot of these men grow up under. Um, but still, regardless, people know right from wrong. So you have to think about it. Dean Corral was a very special type of serial killer in this case. He groomed these men to do exactly what he wanted them to do. And he got these two boys to start pleasing him. And the boys stayed, you know, did what he wanted to stay safe from their own stuff. And it looks like with David, he lured him with a lot of sexual advances. But with Elmer, it wasn't the same with him. Elmer wasn't, and I think Elmer actually went by Wayne, but I'm going to call him Elmer for my sake. <laughs> but he actually wasn't too keen on Dean's ways. And he actually tried to ignore a lot of Dean's like sexual advances. So this soon made, I think, Dean feel insecure about the way Elmer felt about the situation. So in order to lure him more, he started kind of luring Elmer in with this like white slavery ring talk. And it actually piqued the interest of Elmer or made him be more understanding of the situation. So, or gave him, I guess, a reason to think it's okay to kill or lure people in. And he lured also Elmer in with like promises of like stuff was going to come more out of, they were going to operate out of Dallas and more money would be flowing in. So it would yeah it was like a yeah you just kind of like lured him in with the whole money thing and money and desperation can make make people do pretty evil ass shit so the first known killing that elmer committed with dean um is still i guess unofficially unknown but basically with the two boys their dean's ruse went like this there were three three guys like in a Plymouth GTX cruising around and they would find somebody as a victim of choice. Either them pulling them over, start talking to them, either somebody walking on the street and they would somehow make these different victims feel like comfortable and they would offer them things like enticing things like drugs, money, or booze. And, or like something like, oh, we'll just give you a ride over to like the next location. All of these boys that they targeted were between the ages of 13 to 20. They would play this game too. Elmer would put on handcuffs and then would show them how he would be able to get out of them. Mm -hmm. So that way, if somebody else put the handcuffs on, they would think the same thing would happen to them. And A, they wouldn't make a fuss about it. And B, they would be willing to do it and think it was a game. Mm -hmm. But unbeknownst to these guys, it was a deadly ending waiting for them. All of these victims were eventually turned over to Dean in the end for the final murder round. And on March 24th, 1972, 
David, Elmer, and Dean lured 18-year-old Frank Aguirre, where he was raped, tortured, and killed. He was buried on High Island. So they had, obviously, several spots. And this was one of the new beginnings of a new hiding ground besides the boat shed that we talked earlier. And um, after Frank was killed, it looks like David and Elmer lured some of their own friends, 17-year-old Mark Scott, to Dean's party where he was raped, tortured, and killed, along with two other boys by the name of Billy Belouche and Johnny DeLone. And they were all buried on High Island. Then 19-year-old Billy Ridinger was, um, I think, raped and tortured, but he somehow made it out alive. And we know this because Billy Ridinger actually testifies later. And then um, it was actually said, too, like one time David was actually coming into Dean's house at the time. And he Dean went to go open the door and accidentally hit David and it like knocked him out. And because it knocked him out, like Dean ended up kind of like um, uh, tying him up and started raping him. Mm. Yeah. And this was David who actually worked for him and or like had like that that relationship with him. So even though he did that, you know, like David still chose to hang out, you know, hang out with Dean and still participate in everything. Um, Dean Corral ended up moving and relocating to a new place. This time it was called Westcott Towers, and this was in June of 1972. And that's when Stephen Sickman went missing and was found murdered. And then on August 21st, 1972, 19-year-old Roy Button was abducted while he was working as an assistant at the Houston Shoe Store. He was found raped, tortured, and killed. By October 3rd, 1972, Elmer and David lured Wally Simono and Richard Hembry to their death. And then about a month after that, 18-year-old Willard Carmen Branch Jr. was murdered, and he was buried in the boat shed. In the same month, Richard Kepner was on his way to a local payphone to call his fiance when he was abducted, when he was abducted, raped, and tortured, and murdered. His body was also found on High Islands. So altogether, I guess police estimate about 10 murders of young boys between the ages of 13 and 19, and all were murdered between the months of February and November of 1972. All of the bodies were found on either High Island or the boat shed. Now this brings us to January of 1973, and Dean moves to a new address once again, yada, 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 Wirt Road, and two weeks into this residence, 17-year-old Joseph Lyles was killed. Then on March 7th, 1973, that's when Dean moved once again, and this time it was to 2020 Lamar Drive, which also happened to be the old residence in where Dean's father previously lived. 
So it was reported that between February 1st, 1973 and January 4th, 1973, no murders actually occurred. And this was said because Dean suffered from the medical condition called hydrocell. Hydrocele. Hydrocell. Hydrocele. I don't know. I'm a little drunk, so. Try and remember how that's pronounced. Hydrocell. Okay. Well, basically, it's a fancy term for inflamed genotalia which means that like a fluid filled sac forms around the fucking scrotum mm. naturally due to inflammation or overuse. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> I mean, either you get kicked in the nuts or you have way too much sex. One of the two. Right. It's gross. I'm just saying either way. Yes. <laughs> Regardless, it stopped the murders for a while. But David and Elmer were actually no strangers because Dean had a satisfaction that needed to be fulfilled. <laughs> and he had this like craving period and it progressively got worse and the boys noticed it and it resulted in Dean becoming more increasingly violent and restless. He started smoking and drinking more, smoking cigarettes, and his violence became intolerable. But sadly, on June 4th, 1973, 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence was the next victim for these three boys. And his body was dumped in Lake Sam Rayburn. And then less than two weeks later, 20-year-old Raymond Stanley was also killed and dumped in the same lake. Then on July 6, 1973, 15-year-old Homer Lewis Garcia was found dead. And July 12, 17-year-old John Sellers was also murdered. And both of those bodies were actually found on high islands. Looks like David Brooks tried to lead somewhat of a normal life around this time because it was said that he actually married his pregnant fiance, which pff, no idea he had time to do that during that time. So he was absent for the murders actually that occurred between July 19th and the 25th. 15-year-old Michael Belouche, who was actually the brother of Billy Belouche, who I mentioned earlier, he was actually killed and his body was thrown into the lake. Along with him went Charles Cobble and Martin Ray Jones. They were killed and their bodies were found in the boat shed. And then by August 3rd, 1973, this ended up being Dean's last victim. And this was 13-year-old James Stanton Dramala. He was raped and tortured and, his, and he was killed. His body was found buried in a boat shed. All in all, y'all, the, all these murders were brutal and vicious. I went very light on telling you all about rape, tortured, and killed. I didn't even go into the details of what it actually provides on the internet of what happens. It's much worse. And this could come from nothing but pure evil. And no one could stop Dean or his accomplices when it came to this time. 
Okay, so this is where the story actually gets interesting. Well, it should have been interesting already. So get with it. Okay, anyways. On August 7th, 1973, Elmer Henley decided to hang with a couple of friends. At first, it actually started with 19-year-old Timothy Curley. And they were hanging out for a while. And... Later on into the evening, they actually ran into 15-year-old friend Rhonda Louise Williams. Rhonda actually came from also an abusive alcoholic background with her family. And that night in particular, she'd actually gotten into a fight with her father. So when she came out of the house, she she actually came across the boys. And the boys, like, offered her to, like, hang out with them because it was one of those nights over at Rhonda's house. So Timothy and Elmer were actually on their way to head to Dean's and they decided to have Rhonda go with them. When they arrived at Dean's, actually, he was super pissed off that Elmer had even had had the audacity to bring a girl to the party. Elmer obviously knew what Dean was all about and this was a big no-no. But it seems like after a while, Elmer was able to calm Dean down And it looks like the three teens decided to enjoy a night at Dean's house because Dean decided to offer them free beer, alcohol, and probably some weed. And then soon, obviously, for these young teens, it became the wee morning hours and they ended up falling asleep. So when Elmer Wayne Henley actually awoke, he found himself lying on his stomach and his hands and feet were bound behind his back and he had a gag that was taped over his mouth. When Elmer looked over, he happened to find his friends Rhonda and Timothy in the same position. Dean was super enraged and was screaming at Elmer that he had just really fucking messed up this time and that he was actually going to kill all three of them but before he did he was going to have his fun and Elmer got to watch it all it said that Elmer actually got the attention of Dean and Dean eventually pulled the gag from Elmer's mouth and he actually pled with Dean to let him and his friends go And then Elmer actually got smart because he told him that he would engage in these activities if if Dean just untied him and let him go. So eventually, after some pleading and begging, uh, Elmer was let go. And Dean told Elmer that he was to violate Rhonda. So he was to rape her and beat her and kill her. And at the same time, Dean would do the same thing to Timothy, his friend. And so as both the men started to begin, Rhonda actually um, had pulled the gag from her mouth and had whispered to Elmer, like, is this for real, dude? Like, is this really fucking happening? And Elmer fucking replied, yeah, like this really fucking is. And Rhonda looked back, looked back at her friend and was like, are you going to do anything about this? And Elmer looked at her dead in the face and said, yes, I am. 
And that's when Elmer actually stood up and did something about this. He finally um, ended up pulling a gun on Dean and shouted that he wasn't going to take this anymore. And Dean actually like laughed at him, didn't think he was going to do anything. And it took no time for Elmer to shoot Dean in the forehead. But it looks like it didn't stop him. He still kept coming for him. And that's when Elmer fired three more shots. One into Dean's shoulder and two into his chest. Dean hit the floor and Elmer fired three more shots into Dean's back. Dean Corral was finally dead. After that, Elmer actually untied his friends and all three of them got dressed and ended up sitting on the porch for a bit and probably thinking to themselves, like, what the actual fuck? And the three friends then decided to call the police and Elmer did confess right away to all the murders or, well, admitted to killing Dean in self-defense and because... Excuse me. Because of well, no, because of Rhonda and Timothy's confession to the police as well, they were able to cooperate Elmer's story. And so they they definitely believed that he was shot in self-defense. But it didn't bring up the entire question of what like what led to all of this. Obviously, the police were gonna find out. And that's exactly what happened. They ended up, um, you know, questioning Wayne or Elmer for like the longest time. And he ended up confessing to a whole bunch of murders. This is when he actually indicted um, David Owen Brooks. And um, David at first was, you know, with his fiance at this time or with his new wife that they just had Mm -hmm. a baby. And so he obviously denied everything, but after a while, obviously everything came to light (laughs) and they both ended up confessing to their parts in what they did. So honey, I want to thank you for listening to my story tonight. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. His name's Johnny, by the way. He's the new boo in my life, and I love him very much. The only boo in your life. <laughs> the only boo, yes, <laughs> that is true. Very. Yeah, I, <laughs> other than our small boo. Yes, and other than our small little boo. We just got a new puppy, and he's sitting here right next to us. And he's completely falling asleep when he's been a monster all day long, tearing and peeing and pooping over everything. <laughs> that we own so it's disgusting but wonderful at the same time he's also a little gremlin so if you ever get a chance to check out my tiktok you can see my little gremlin on there i posted one it's quite goofy (laughs) let me know if you want to see it i'll post it on tuesdays with trisha but just to end out this long story for you guys today i want you to know that David Owen Brooks actually died um, of COVID in 2020 is what ended up getting him. Elmer Henley or Elmer Wayne Henley is still in jail 
last thing we know of him is that he um, did this special, actually. It was Most Evil. It's on the ID channel or Discovery Plus. And I was able to watch the little bit of that where he actually confessed to all of this stuff. So completely cooperated everything that had been going on. And we all know the Candyman, the Pied Piper, or known from me, this is the reason how I know this case is because of Lieutenant Joe Kennedy, and he called him Dapper Dean Corral. And so it was like a big case. And yeah, so that's how I ended up actually learning about this case. So that's why I call him Dapper Dean Corral, which he was by far dapper. Thanks for making that noise. Long for, I don't know what that was. Yep. Uh-huh. Just being a responsible human being, probably getting ready for work. Sorry, honey. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I just all want to say thanks for listening to my story and all of our hearts and thoughts go out to the victims and all of these cases, all of these young boys that never get, got to live lives or enjoy their lives. Our hearts are with them and till next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha.